Volume three, chapter twelve of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume three, chapter twelve. Mr. Corbold's adventures. It was some time before Mr. Stephen Corbold recovered sufficiently from the effects of Helen's libation to enable him to see where he was, or to perceive that where he was, she was not. The ceremony had, indeed, been a painful one, but it at least did him the good service of dispelling the effects of the wine he had taken, and after a few moments more of winking and blinking and wiping his smarting eyes, he descended the stairs to seek his cousin, a soberer, if not a better man, than when he mounted them. Everything was at this time in full activity on the lawn. Above two thousand people were assembled there, all much more than decently clad, and presenting altogether a very striking spectacle. Those who before dinner had been the company were now converted into spectators, many of them accommodated with seats in the shade, from whence they watched the checkered movements of the motley crowd. This cool and quiet position was in every way beneficial to those who had been tempted to heat themselves by drinking somewhat too freely of the vicar's wine. Among these Mr. Corbold introduced himself, probably more sober than any of them, except perhaps the vicar himself, but bearing in his altered eye and general discomfiture of aspect more visible traces of intemperance than any individual amongst them mr cartwright rose to meet him with a sensation of considerable alarm he fancied from his appearance that he was quite intoxicated and feared the utterance of some folly which might explain the cause of his having absented himself more fully than was at all necessary this idea was by no means lessened when his cousin beckoned him from the party amidst whom he sat and gravely assured him that miss helen had very nearly murdered him compose yourself cousin stephen compose yourself where have you left her left her she left me i tell you blind and almost suffocated if you don't wish to have the whole county set gossiping about mrs mowbray's will your wife's will i mean you had better let me see that vixen properly punished cousin as i live and breathe i will have revenge somehow you shall you shall stephen answered the vicar endeavouring to quiet him she shall be treated in any way that you like only don't make a noise now will you give orders that she shall be confined to her room and kept on bread and water to be sure i will if you desire it she shall be locked up as soon as the place is cleared and you shall see it done stephen if you will only step in and take a nap in my library to recover yourself a little this proposal was on the whole a very tempting one for mr stephen corbold's head ached with considerable violence not to mention that he had hardly yet recovered his eyesight and was otherwise very ill at ease so without arguing the matter farther he retreated to the comfortable station recommended to him and soon fell into a slumber that lasted till the whole business of the day prayers blessing and all were done and over and the place as solitary and forsaken as if no serious fancy fair no israelitis missionary and no fababo had ever been heard of it was then that the vicar of rexhill remembered his cousin stephen and it was then that fanny mowbray looking round the room in which the whole family was assembled said where is helen this question which as it seemed no one could answer and the recollection of his library guest coming at one and the same moment across him made mr cartwright start poor man he was most heartily fatigued and worn out by the honours glories and hospitalities of the day and wished for nothing on earth so much as soda-water and a bedroom bogey but he felt that his labours were not over though not exactly aware how much remained to be done having furnished himself with a light and commanded that miss mowbray should be desired to meet him in the library he repaired immediately to that room where he found as he expected his serious and legal relative as fast asleep in his favourite armchair as he himself wished to be in his bed the ceremony of awakening him was soon performed and when he once more stood on his feet and had rubbed his still suffering eyes sufficiently to perceive where he was the vicar addressed him thus in the most gentle voice imaginable 
hoping to soothe and get rid of him well cousin stephen you have had a nice nap and now you'd better go home it is getting quite late good-night stephen what have you done with that murderous vixen cousin cartwright i won't stir till i know you've locked her up as you promised to do i have ordered her to come here stephen that you may yourself hear what i mean to say to her oh, i don't want to see her cousin cartwright replied the attorney in a tone that betokened as much fear as dislike i only want to have her punished and punished she shall be depend upon that but if you really do not wish to see her cousin stephen you had better be off at once for i expect her here every moment i will walk with you myself as far as the lodge whatever vengeance he wished executed on helen that he had no inclination to be present at it himself was proven by the alacrity with which the attorney acceded to this proposal only let me get my hat it's quite a new hat and i'll come with you this moment cousin cartwright the hat was found and the two serious gentlemen set off together across the lawn from that point to within a few yards of the lodge the lawyer entertained the minister with such an account of helen's attack upon him as convinced the latter that it would be quite necessary in his parental character to exercise such a degree of authority as might speedily bring the rebellious young lady to reason it was already as dark as a fine night in july ever is and the fine large oaks which in many places overhung the road rendered some spots particularly sombre at one of these and just before they arrived at the park gates they heard the steps of a man whom they appeared to be overtaking who can this loiterer be said mr cartwright my people had orders to see that the grounds were cleared and all the gates locked before this time we shall be able to see him when we get beyond those trees replied corbold he was quite right a few steps farther brought them to an open space and there as if waiting for them stood the intruder as still and silent as if he had been a statue we are two to one however observed the attorney but he is a monstrous tall fellow the next breath that issued from the lips of the vicar's cousin came not in words but in a most dismal hideous and prolonged yell for the tall fellow had seized him by the collar with one hand while with the other he brandished and applied a huge horsewhip to his shoulders with such energy activity and perseverance that his howling startled the dull ear of the night as well as the frightened organs of his astonished kinsman though mr cartwright had not the slightest intention of doing so unclerical a thing as interfering in the fray he drew a little nearer to it than was quite prudent from a natural curiosity to know who the bold mortal was who dared thus belabour his cousin the light was sufficient to enable him to discern colonel harrington in the aggressor but it should seem that it was not equally effective to the eyes of that gentleman himself or he would hardly have ventured to permit a few apparently random but very sharp cuts to visit the reverend shoulders of the owner of the soil on which he stood this prodigious impiety however certainly took place upon which the vicar very properly anxious to put the earliest possible stop to such indecent proceedings ran off as fast as his legs could carry him and in about half an hour returned again with eight stout serving-men armed with bludgeons broomsticks and the great kitchen poker that he had not in his agitation forgotten the spot on which he had left his unfortunate cousin was quickly made manifest to the ears of all who accompanied him for dismal groans made themselves heard exactly from the place where the operation had been performed and on examination the bruised body of mr stephen corbold was found extended on the grass apparently too stiff and sore to have much power of movement left even during the hurried interval which mr cartwright spent in his house while waiting for the gathering together of his host he had found time to inquire of his wife if she had seen helen and being told in reply that she was nowhere to be found the extremely disagreeable truth immediately suggested itself to him in one short sharp moment he remembered colonel harrington's suppressed letter corbold's permitted outrage helen's escape 
and the degrading lash that had so vigorously saluted his own shoulders how was it possible that being as he most undoubtedly was the lord and master of cartwright park and all the wealth annexed thereto and holding his lady's comprehensive will signed sealed and duly executed in his own possession how could it be that he should feel so utterly beat down overpowered and degraded the bitter pang however lasted but a moment what was the gossip of an hour or a day when set against the solid happiness of wealth this was still his to have and to hold and after one little pinch at his heart as he thought of the longed-for mitre he struggled manfully to despise the paltry annoyance and hastened with all the speed he could make to the rescue of his cousin and if heaven so willed to inflict vengeance even unto death upon his enemy heaven however did not so will colonel harrington having given the attorney exactly the quantum of flogging he intended stuck his card with his name and address both in town and country into the groaning man's pocket laid him down very gently on the grass and departed the disposal of the flogged gentleman's person was now taken into consideration some cousins perhaps might have thought that a bed at cartwright park would have been the best thing to propose for it but it appeared that such was not the opinion of mr cartwright for having quickly ascertained the situation of affairs and assured himself that colonel harrington was no longer within his reach he instantly ordered the coachman and stable-boy who were among his suite to return with all possible haste to the house and prepare a carriage instantly to take his ill-used cousin home take me to your house cousin murmured the smarting man i shall die if you send me to rexhill but mr cartwright did not happen to hear him and indeed his time and attention were wholly engrossed till the carriage arrived and his kinsman lifted into it by a strict examination of his people at the lodge as to when colonel harrington had entered the park and whether they were at all aware that he was still lurking there to all which inquiries he of course received for an answer la your honour upon such a day as this how was anybody to mark who went in or who went out of the park mr stephen corbold was therefore safely conveyed to his own dwelling in rexhill and the vicar returned to tell his lady that from circumstances which had transpired there could be no doubt that her daughter helen had eloped with colonel harrington on my word dearest on my word my dearest cartwright i hardly know how to be sorry for it william harrington would be an excellent match for any woman they were very fond of each other when they were children and helen has been so miserable in moping ever since i married that it has been quite a misery to see her i thought she was in love with your cousin however i suppose she has changed her mind again and that it was a fit of jealousy on the part of harrington that made him attack poor mr corbold but we can't help it you know i am tired to death my dear cartwright do not let us stay up any longer talking about it i dare say helen will be very happy so ended the eventful day of the fababo fancy fair it is not necessary to inquire what were the reports or what the gossipings to which this day's events gave rise the papers announced that a very large sum had been collected for the interesting missionary and all the hampshire world soon said that colonel harrington was going to be married to miss mowbray but the attention of the park family themselves was at this time greatly engrossed by henrietta she had long been in a very delicate state of health but probably from some cold caught at the late fete her symptoms had become rapidly more alarming she was soon confined to her bed and the most skilful physician in the county gave it as his opinion that she could not live many weeks rosalind was indefatigable in her attentions to her and when the awful judgment of the physician was made known to her she at once resolved that henrietta should be made acquainted with it in the hope that the prospect of approaching dissolution might soften her heart and lead her to seek and receive the only consolation of which such a situation admits rosalind was too truly attached to helen 
not to rejoice at the unexpected step she had taken though her surprise at it was unbounded she knew helen's character well she knew too how implicitly they had trusted each other and that this known trusted and trusting friend should have eloped without having even hinted to her that colonel harrington had confessed the love which in happier moments she owned she hoped he felt was inconceivable still it was true and though no line of explanation had ever been permitted to reach her still she rejoiced and with all the trusting confidence of her nature believed that whatever appeared wrong or unkind would some day or other be explained she now rejoiced yet more at helen's absence henrietta had never admitted her even the uncertain and capricious degree of friendship which she had bestowed on herself and had she been still at the park it would have been difficult for rosalind to have devoted herself so wholly to the poor sufferer as she now did mrs cartwright's situation prevented her from being much in the room fanny was still less there she and henrietta had never loved each other at first fanny disliked her because it was easy to perceive that she was neither beloved nor approved by mr cartwright and henrietta despised her in return for the easy weakness with which she had become her father's convert so that in this awful hour rosalind was the only friend who drew near her with affection and most tender and constant was the care she bestowed upon her to the communication which she had so much dreaded to make though she considered it her duty to do it henrietta only replied by assuring her that for more than a year she had been fully aware that death was rapidly approaching her alas how lightly have i listened to you dear henrietta when you have said this replied the weeping rosalind but the reason dear friend why i did not why i could not believe you were in earnest was speak fearlessly dear rosalind was that you thought i was unfit to die but so are many rosalind who yet must go when nature bids them but now now henrietta oh tell me that you do not still doubt all things doubt even the being of the eternal power that made you tell me i beseech you that you have read and thought on these things since that dreadful day that i overheard you make the confession to mr hetherington which has rung in my ears ever since yes rosalind i have read and i have thought but not now only my kind friend my short life rosalind has been but one series of perturbed thinking my brain has been racked by it but i have gained nothing i have no power henrietta no learning no strength of reason to remove the doubts that so fearfully darken these your last hours yet what would i not give that you could taste the ineffable comfort of perfect hope and perfect faith perfect faith replied henrietta impatiently why do you have recourse to the slang i hate teach me to hope oh that you could but let me not hear the hateful words the false use of which has been my destruction henrietta dearest henrietta will you consent to see a clergyman who can speak to you with the authority of age and wisdom a clergyman she replied scoffingly perhaps you will propose that i should see the reverend mr cartwright no no you do not think that it is such as him i would wish to send to you yet he is my father miss torrington and there it is you see there lies the difficulty name a clergyman and mr cartwright seems to rise before me and shall i use my dying breath to say that i would hear with reverence what such as he could say leave me in peace rosalind let me sleep i tell you if there be a god he will pity me there was so much feverish excitement in her manner of speaking that rosalind terrified lest she might hasten the hour she so earnestly wished to retard in the hope that light might break upon that darkness which it was so terrible to witness forbore to answer her and tenderly arranging her pillows under her head kissed her pale cheek and set herself down behind the curtain in the place that she now almost constantly occupied after a moment however henrietta spoke again but it was gently and calmly 
leave me my most kind rosalind said she leave me for an hour or two you must want the fresh air and i want perfect solitude rosalind i will think let no one come to me till i ring my bell go my dear friend rosalind greatly affected by the changed voice and manner pressed to her lips the emaciated hand held out to her and retired rosalind did indeed require the refreshment of air and exercise from which she had almost wholly debarred herself for above a week and such refreshment will certainly do more towards restoring the exhausted strength both to body and mind than any other remedy which can be devised yet though it acts well and almost infallibly on the system the benefit does not at once reach the consciousness of the weary watcher rosalind as she slowly dragged her languid steps along felt none of the pleasurable effects of the sweet breeze that blew on her face for she was not aware of it her heart and soul were still in the chamber of the dying henrietta and though greatly too well taught to believe that a few feverish moments of changed opinions can put the passing spirit into a state of fitness for heaven still she clung to the hope of hearing the unhappy girl avow better thoughts and feelings than those which had so long brooded over her misguided spirit fully occupied with these meditations rosalind walked for an hour almost mechanically through the shrubberies unmindful of the sweet voice of nature that greeted her in the songs of birds and in the breath of flowers and thinking only of what she might say or do to make the light of truth send one cheering ray upon the last hours of her unhappy friend when she re-entered the house her maid who was watching for her said that miss cartwright had rung her bell and requested to know when she returned blaming herself for her long absence rosalind hastened to the sick-room and found henrietta seated upright in her bed with rather more animation and brightness in her eyes than she wished to see for she thought it betokened fever but her voice and manner were gentle and composed your words have not fallen to the ground my most kind rosalind said she and if it be possible during the short period that remains for me to live that i should attain a clearer knowledge of what i am than i have hitherto possessed i shall welcome it most gladly but of all the attributes with which the beautiful idea that you call god is invested the only one that i conceive it possible for mortals to share with him is truth power alas we have none of knowledge very little of wisdom less and as to perfect goodness perfect benevolence we are not framed to feel it but truth clear pure beautiful and bright we can know and we can feel it can make a part of us even as it makes a part of him and by this only as it seems to me can we approach him touch him and as it were be part of him for truth in a mortal rosalind if it exist at all is perfect as in a god it is therefore my dear friend that though i feel i and have always felt that there may be an existing cause endowed with will productive of all the wonders of creation and though this wondrous existence if it be deserves all worship and though i more sinned against than sinning have offered none yet i still feel that i may be forgiven if i have kept far off from him my worship and my thoughts at least i never have approached him with falsehood on my tongue or in my heart and to my judgment this is the only crime relating to our intercourse with god at which we need to tremble if such a being be can our blundering theories so touch his greatness that he should deign to frown upon us for them no 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 we cannot know him and those who guess the nearest can guess but very darkly but truth and falsehood are as much within the compass of man's nature as of god's and therefore are they as concerning him the only virtue and the only sin henrietta spoke these words with her eyes closed slowly and deliberately 
as if her mind, like a cloud that turns forth its silver lining to the night, sought in the midst of darkness to show the faint gleam within. But every word she uttered made Rosalind more deeply feel the necessity of letting her hear the truths of religion from some one who had made its laws the study of a holy life. She longed that she should hear with more authority than she could lend to it the voice of God himself, as revealed to man in records enduring as the world. But where was she to seek such a one? As poor Henrietta had said, the name of a minister could to her suggest no other image than that of her father, and from him she ever seemed to turn with horror. Yet still Rosalind could not endure to abandon hope that such a one might be found, and only waited till Henrietta would promise to see him before she took measures for the purpose. In answer to this request, the dying girl replied, "'But my permission is not all that is necessary, dearest Rosalind. What would my father say if you were fortunate to obtain for me a visit from such a one as you describe?' He would not bear it. He would not admit his approach. I know he would not. Let me ask him, Henrietta. No, cried the invalid with sudden energy, as if she had at that moment conceived and decided on her line of conduct. I will ask him myself. This doubt, this darkness, this fearful mist that seems to hang about me is terrible. Why should I not feel hopeful and assured as you do? Send to him, Rosalind, send to my father and send too for his besotted wife and for the poor weak wavering fanny send for them all but don't you leave me rosalind i have a strange anxious fluttering at my heart it will be better when i have spoken to him rosalind delayed not a moment to do her bidding there was an inequality in her manner that frightened her she feared her time was short and so worded the summons she sent to mr cartwright and his wife that they came instantly fanny entered the room nearly at the same moment and it was evident from their manner that they all thought they were come to receive her last farewell. The feeble Henrietta asked Rosalind so to arrange her pillows that she might sit upright. Rosalind did so, and then kneeled down beside the bed. Mr. Cartwright stood with his back leaning against the bedpost, and his eyes fixed on the ground. His wife entered, leaning on his arm, and had not quitted it. But for some reason or other, Henrietta, who rarely took notice of her in any way, now asked her to place herself in a chair beside her bed. "'You had better sit,' said she. "'You are not very strong in any way.' Fanny stood apart and alone, having looked round upon each of them. The dying girl fixed her eyes upon her father, and thus addressed him. "'I have heard you say, a thousand times, perhaps, that religion was the business of your life, and for that reason, sir, its very name hath become abhorrent to me. Oh, father, you have much to answer for. I would have given my own right hand to believe in a good, a merciful, a forgiving God.' and I turned my young eyes to you. You told me that few could be saved, and that it was not what I deemed innocence could save me. You told me, too, that I was in danger, but that you were safe. You told me that heaven had set its seal upon you, and then I watched you. Oh, how earnestly I spied out all your ways. I found fraud, pride, impurity, and falsehood, mixed with your deeds through every day you lived. Yet still you said that heaven had set its seal upon you, that your immortal soul was safe, that happiness eternal was your predestined doom. I listened to you as a child listens to a father. Not a word was lost, no, nor an action either. And then it was, father, that I became an unbeliever, an hardened infidel, a daring atheist. If it were true that God had chosen you, then it was true my soul rejected him. Yet Rosalind, dear Rosalind, do not hate me, do not shudder at my words. It was because I found no truth in him that I could not, would not believe his doctrine true. But you, good, kind, and innocent, I believe you. 
the harsh and awful accents of her voice changed into a tone of the deepest tenderness as she continued to address rosalind when did you ever lie you told me there is a god and i may trust you you do not prate of grace and then labour to corrupt the innocence that looks into your face to ask the way to heaven you do not bid me wear a mask of feigned assurance of salvation nor will you bind my hands nor keep me from the light of day when i refuse to kneel and sigh and play the hypocrite you will not bid me lie and tell me that so only can i find the way to heaven you will not with slow and stealthy pace mr cartwright at this moment began to creep from his station and approach the door but henrietta whose eyes were half closed for the lashes seemed heavy with tears instantly opened them and cried aloud stay i have a right to bid you father this good girl is kind and innocent but she is young and very ignorant what can she know of heaven is there speak truly these are the last words you will ever utter to me is there within our reach some pious holy humble man of god such as i have read of but no saint no saint father is there such a one and may he come and pray with me every eye in the room was fixed on mr cartwright as his daughter made the appeal for some moments he did not answer but upon henrietta's repeating loudly and almost wildly may he come he answered in a low husky voice this is mere bravado you have lived a scoffing infidel and a scoffing infidel will you die if indeed you wished for prayer and pardon you would turn to me for it my curate may pray with her but none else and with these words he turned away without looking at her and quitted the room the silence of death seemed already to have settled on the chamber which was broken at length by the deep sobbings of the unfortunate mrs cartwright poor soul said henrietta turning towards her she is not wholly bad but more unfit to judge and act than a baby for they can do nothing and she alas can do much dreadful mischief with my dying breath unhappy victim of a most finished hypocrite i do conjure you not to wrong your children to enrich him poor soul he loves her not no not even so much as silly as she is she well deserves from him he will have a child born to him here and another at gloucester much at the same time do not ruin your poor helpless children for him mrs cartwright sat with her eyes unmovably fixed on those of henrietta even after she had ceased to speak she sighed deeply but uttered no syllable in reply take her away rosalind i have no more to say to her and poor fanny too heaven bless you fanny you may go now my dear all go but rosalind her commands were instantly obeyed and once more the two strangely matched friends were left alone together it is too late now my rosalind my strength is failing fast i can hardly see your sweet kind eyes dear rosalind but i can hear read to me dearest quick open the bible that you left for me open it where the man says to paul almost thou persuadest me to be a christian rosalind opened the precious volume and read to her slowly and distinctly that exquisite passage of heaven-taught eloquence which produced in reply the words she had quoted henrietta's eyes were closed but now and then a gentle pressure of the hand she held in hers persuaded rosalind that she heard and understood each powerful word of that majestic pleading when she had reached and read the words henrietta had quoted she paused and in a moment afterwards the now expiring girl uttered in broken accents yes stop there it has reached my soul from your lips only rosalind then suddenly her dying eyes opened and fixed themselves on rosalind she clasped her hands as if in prayer and then with a strong effort pronounced these words lord i believe 
help thou my unbelief her head sank on her breast the breath that uttered these words was her last End of chapter twelve